You guys know the great theologian Nacho Libre, right? Mucho te crisi. Well, good morning. It's good to be home. I've uh, uh, been gone for a weekend and another weekend. We had a great time, Lydia and I did, in San Diego last week. Just the two of us got to get away, and I uh, did a wedding for my childhood, one of my childhood best friends. And uh, he's my age and got married for the first time. So some of you guys, if you were here about a month and a half ago, he came with his fiance and we got to meet him. So we just had a wonderful weekend. It was a work and play and combined. We had a rehearsal Friday night and a wedding Saturday. And we flew into L.A. and we had to drive to San Diego. But we had a great time. The wedding couldn't have been better. It was one of the funnest weddings I've ever done. Something just happened in the middle of the service that was like hilarious. And everybody started cracking up. And it just made it lighthearted and fun. So, And it was just cool get to preach uh, Josh's wedding and uh, but it's good to be back did you guys notice all the progress that's taking place around here give the Lord a hand we um we got the front of the building painted and so praise the Lord for that we we did get some generous donations from some of you folks to help towards that so that was a huge blessing thank you um uh, Jerry and his family got the coffee bar um countertops done this weekend we got the during the week we got the tea bar hung in the conference room so if you get a chance uh take a look by the women's bathroom back there in the conference room where Lydia was talking about where women's study will be we're going to keep the same theme except for it's going to keep we're going to keep the white ceiling but gray walls border um border and so we could use some help getting that part done if you if you can paint sand a wall back there and get that stuff ready if you have that in your wheelhouse and you want to be a part of that we can get that going the next couple of weeks our goal is to have the conference room ready for um women's study we have the doors came in for the bathrooms and so now we have the real commercial doors self-closing push-pull doors for the bathroom solid core doors so we'll get is on the front of the building is we're going to black the windows with window tint so you won't be able to see in from Main Street. But I think with the new paint job and the black windows, it's going to really look phenomenal out front. We've got lots of comments, some, some gals that um, don't come to church here that work with Lydia drove by this week. And the one was so impressed, like, your building looks so awesome. She's like, I parked on Main Street and just stared at it. She goes, because the first time I drove by, I almost got in an accident looking at it. So it's good. I don't know that it's that great, but, you know, we, we dubbed that project on the pig so we, we we put a little lipstick on the pig and uh, but it's, it always feels good to make it you know we we started this November 1st and we're about $85,000 into our remodel project and I'm very proud and pleased to announce that we've paid cash for all of that um, as a church family we haven't we none of that is on is on debt or credit everything that we've done up to this point we've, we've paid for as we've done it and as you guys know the vision was that we would that we would just that's why we've been under construction for so long because we were paying for things as god provided and so but it's been amazing and the church has been so generous like i said you know just out of the blue um we, we got a very generous donation to get the paint done out front i talked to somebody today who uh, wants to help with the coffee bar apart from you know just just us doing it so so exciting stuff. Amen. Can we give the Lord a hand? All right. I don't know. How many, how many of you guys carry pocket knives? Okay, we're in Utah, right? This one guy here from Utah when I moved here, he said, you know what kind of man doesn't carry a pocket knife? A woman. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't have a pocket knife. But, hey, you're going to need a knife and a fork today because we are going to eat steak today. And uh, we're in Hebrews chapter. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to Hebrews chapter 6. Uh, hey, I have, while you're doing that, I have one um, announcement. I think it's good news, bad news type of announcement. But um, 
we have officially closed the um, Israel trip in February of 2020. So if you were hoping or wanting to sign up and you haven't signed up yet, completely sold out and there's no more room. We sold, um, we, we originally had 45 spots holds 50 people. We'd like to sell 45 because a couple of the seats on the bus, if you have to put a, a butt in every chair, it makes it a little uncomfortable. It's nice to have a little breathing room on the bus. So we sell 45. Our goal is 45 spots out of the 50. So in three weeks, we sold 56 spots on a 50 passenger bus. Um, so, but it, it's, it's fine. I kept calling them back and adding people and adding rooms and so she's the first thing she said yeah we'll put you in the so we're going to be in the 60 passenger bus it's the largest passenger bus on planet earth mercedes bus and and then she had to add a bunch of hotel rooms but um because i've had people come up and say i know you said you're full but is there and i'm like we've already done that like six times so uh we went from 45 to 56 but we are completely full but here's the good news that's the bad news if you wanted to go the good news is because we had such an overwhelming response we're going to do a back-to-back trip to israel normally we don't do them like this we spread them out a little farther but we're going to do two trips in in 2021 so february of 2021 is sold out and then in a give me about probably four to six weeks and we'll be advertising for um november of 2021 Probably the same, I'm going to try to put together a pretty identical trip, same price range, all those things. So if you are interested in going to Israel, you know, I I told you guys for weeks before we put out the brochure, I got the brochures out here like weeks before we gave them to Joshua Springs. Um, But I I don't know, but I'm assuming that the um, November trip is also going to to sell out fast. So if you are interested in going to Israel and you're serious about it, um, I'll, I'll keep you apprised. And when I put out that brochure, get signed up. Amen. All right, Hebrews chapter 6, beginning in verse number 1. Hey, let's stand. I don't know. I'm just feeling froggy today. Let's stand and read the Word of God together today. Not something we do all the time, but... Hebrews chapter 6, beginning in verse number 1. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles... I'm sorry, guys. Let me start over. i got to get my glasses on. All the words are fuzzy. They're going to get clear. No, you guys don't have to read with me. Just listen. You can just, therefore, leaving the discussion of elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits, for it is impossible for those who have, who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated receives blessings from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near of being cursed, whose end is burned. But, beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. For God is not unjust to forget your work of labor, of love, which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saint and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. For when God made a promise to Abraham because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, 
saying, Surely blessings, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God determined to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, conformed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it is, which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of a soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. You may be seated. You know, I think there are two types of um, positions that one can take when it comes to salvation. One of the um, arguments in the church that I think we should be, you should be aware of is the idea, and as a pastor, I get this question from time to time, oftentimes when new people come, it seems to be for them a, a deciding factor, and, and, and hopefully we can walk them through it and, and they can get over that. The question is this, Pastor, do you believe that as a Christian you can lose your salvation? Now, this chapter is going to uh, in a roundabout way that exact topic. Can a Christian lose their salvation? Now, again, it's a, it's a kind of a circular debate. And the reason why I don't really get into it one way or the other is because there's no winning. And oftentimes I say, you know, scholars and, and, and biblical theologians at Harvard and Yale have been arguing this, this, both sides of this argument for hundreds of years, and they can't agree. And I'm not going to solve the question today. But I do think that what we'll do this morning through Hebrews chapter 6 is we'll be able to shed some light on that question. I think we'll be able to um, feel better about it and understand really, I believe, what the Bible teaches about the concept of can a Christian lose their salvation. Now, here's the kind of two um, um, camps, really. You know, when I was a young person, I grew up with no God, no church in my life. And um, by the grace of God, there was a family that lived a few doors down from me that was really the only born-again Christian family in our neighborhood. Um, the middle son was my age, and him and I ran around, and, um, and, and I would spend the night at his house. And his parents said that if you spend the night at his house on Saturday night, you had to go to church with him on Sunday morning. And then he made Saturday night a complete party and totally fun, so you wanted to be there Saturday night. And then they tricked you and made you go to church with them on Sunday morning. And it was really my, my only experience growing up. Um, wonderful mom on the world. I have the most love and respect. My mom was a single mom with eight kids, and, and she's the most amazing, strong woman in, in the world to this day. Um, but there was no God in our family. My mom wasn't a believer. She didn't go to church. She was from Kansas, and so she was a good person and going to heaven. And when she went to your house for dinner, she wouldn't steal your spoons when she left. So she was good with, with the good old guy upstairs. And this family that my friend Jason, through this experience, um, I was led to the Lord as a young man. And at 20 years old, I, I fully surrendered my heart and life to Jesus. Um, and, and I got saved at 20. And I had some experience as a, as a young um, person through this church. And, but I had never made a full commitment and a full surrender of my heart and life to the Lord Jesus until I was 20 years old. And, and, and so, um, you know, one, one experience that we can have in church is you go to certain churches 
every Sunday, you know, because if you had some sins during the week, you've got to come up and get saved again. And you've got to ask Jesus in your heart and ask him to forgive you of your sins. And, and it even gets to the point where um, maybe in this church you, you have to have demons cast out of you. Christian and whatever your struggle is, you know, you're trying to quit smoking. You have to have the demon of nicotine cast out of you. And if, you know, if you're having a problem with drinking, you have to have the, pro- the demon of alcohol cast out of you or the demon of lust. Or maybe like me, you just really love Twinkies. So you have to have the demon of Twinkies cast out of you. And, and this theology is really bad because there, a Christian cannot be demon possessed. The Bible says that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And I promise you, the Holy Spirit of God is going to share a temple with a demon. And as a Christian, those demons have no power over you or in you. We can, as Christians, be oppressed. That's a different kind of temptation and demonic power where the demon on the outside definitely can, can tempt us and, and, and affect us and not be inside of us. And in some of these places, every Sunday, if you had sin, you go up and you have to ask Jesus in your heart over and over and over again. And then on the other side of the camp is, I think, even a more dangerous thought of theology and Christian living And I never want to be guilty of this. Now, listen, I want to tell you this. When we're done today, this is what I hope. I hope that each one of you will have an assurance of your salvation, that you'll know that you know that you know that you're saved and nobody will ever take that from you, that you know that you're going to heaven and you can be confident in that. But here's the danger of the no, you can never lose your salvation. If somebody comes and says, Pastor, can a Christian lose their salvation? And my answer is, No, absolutely not. A Christian cannot lose their salvation. My fear, and I think the danger in that is, 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 and I see this, we see this all over. The idea that I went to Christian camp in eighth grade and I had a real experience with God and I asked Jesus in my heart and I felt the Holy Spirit and God was using me and I was growing and I was reading the Bible and and, and I made peace with God and I got sick and living like hell and I have no commitment to God and no cost of discipleship. And, and because I asked Jesus in my heart, heart back in eighth grade and I can't lose my salvation, that I can live any way I want and I'll go to heaven. That's simply not true. That's simply dangerous. And, and I think really to um, kind of steal my own thunder rather than build it up, I think I just need to tell you what the, what, what the answer is. You, you can not lose your salvation. But you absolutely, what we'll see in Hebrews chapter 6, is you can leave your salvation. It's absolutely possible for somebody who was once saved to walk away and leave their eternal salvation and leave their security in Christ because they've made a choice. And I do believe, biblically, I can make a case that that's possible. And definitely you can't, again, I don't want to be... You know, somebody says, Pastor, why would you ever, isn't it wrong, or why would you ever want to um, make somebody afraid that they're not going to heaven? And that's not my goal. I don't want to make anybody afraid. I want to encourage you to have eternal salvation and have eternal security. But what I don't want to be guilty is, is giving somebody a false sense of eternal security. Wouldn't that be worse? Someone's on their way to hell. And I tell them, oh, no, don't worry about it. You're fine. You asked Jesus in your heart when you, were, when you were in VBS in fourth grade. You're good. You got fire insurance. Go live like the devil. <laughs> you know, if that's true, right? You know, I, I tell you, there'll be no, no Satan worshipers in heaven. We get to heaven and the guy asked Jesus in his heart in third grade. He's saved, once saved, always saved, and, and becomes a Satan worshiper in heaven. And we're like, oh, who wrote that pentagram on the wall? That stinking Satan worshiper, where is he at? You know, it's not going to happen not going to happen. So again, 
I want to try to walk a tightrope here. You guys with me? I want you to know that you're saved. The Bible promises you that. But I don't want to give anybody a false sense of security. And listen, here's, here's the thing in our church that I think is very important. And if you're here and a part of our church, this is, this is really the, the core of my heart and my vision, is that we have a church where, where people understand there's a cost of discipleship. Jesus said, as a matter of fact, if we're being honest, Jesus said the cost of discipleship, of being a Christ follower, is everything. What, what will it cost you to be a Christ follower? Jesus said everything. What is everything? Everything is everything. What is all? All is all. Cost you everything and all. But it's a good life. It's a blessed life. It's a life that God is absolutely going to help you live your best life now. So let's, uh, let, let's go through it. Let's kind of walk through this verse by verse, and I think we're going to try to make a case. Um, let me actually start by this. Before we get to verse 1, let, let's do assurance of salvation. Turn with me, if you will, to first chapter 5. Go right. Not very far, maybe 10, 12, 15 pages, and you'll run into 1 John, 2 John. Let's go to 1 John chapter 5. If you highlight or you write in your Bible, what I do sometimes is I just circle the verse number, and that helps me um, kind of a way of highlighting. But in 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse number 11, it says, And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. Somebody say amen. Somebody told me last week after my brother preached for me last week, they're like, man, you'd be so jealous of all the amens your brother got. I don't got gift envy. I stay in my lane. It's cool. My brother's my brother's a talented individual. I'll tell you that, you know, sorry, it's a plan, but. Where, 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 where I am right now with my brother is just, it's a new, new stage in life. My brother really, really committed his life to Jesus uh, about 12 years ago, I think now. It's probably been 10, 12 years. And, you know, we went through a couple of years before that where we just, we just hated each other. And he was still not walking with the Lord. And it created a pretty big chasm in, in our lives. And now to have us preaching on the same stage, loving Jesus. I mean, you know, what God has done in that guy's life. I mean, he way passed me a long time ago. He got saved you know, long, long time after I did, but man, that guy is just so on fire for Jesus, man. And he, 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 uh, he moved out to Yucca Valley and moved in with Lydia and I, and, uh, he was going through separation with his wife. He quit his job and, um, he lived with Lydia and I for about a year and a half. And, and then he ended up getting his own place and he, he, he was working, um, as an electrician in the low desert. And, um, and, and it was about three years of just kind of struggling with his faith and, and with what was going on. And at the three-year mark, he made a commitment in his heart and life that rain, sun, or shine, he was going to read his Bible every day. And, and, and then you watch what happened from his commitment. And again, I only know a few people in my life that are, can say 100% that they don't do anything in life, that, that he doesn't read his Bible and start his day with Jesus every single day. And his, and his growth and his, and, his, and his life in Jesus, just, I just watched it grow so fast in Jesus. God began to open doors for him. God began to use him. And it started with a simple commitment that he was going to read his Bible and pray every day. And he, and he kept to it. And to this day, you know, I don't care if the world's falling down. I don't care if it's an emergency. If, if you wake up in the morning, you've got to go somewhere. He's not leaving until he spends some time with Jesus. And, and so it's, it's a super blessing. All right. Sorry. Side note. Rabbit trail. First John chapter or first John five eleven, um, and this is second half. This life in His Son, and He who has the Son has life, and He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. 
These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may, this next word is very important, continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. First of all, John gives us here, 1 John, the assurance of salvation. Do you realize that in, in, in simply relationship with Jesus Christ, in faith system that, that we live in as Christ followers, it, we're, we're the only group that can have absolute assurance of salvation. And, and, and I've been there, and it really impacted my life. As a pastor, I got a call out to, to be by the bedside of a Jehovah Witness who was dying, and, and there was no peace, and there was no assurance of salvation, because according to Jehovah Witness um, doctrine and theology, it's a works-based doctrine that you have to do, and you have to, um, you have to pass out watchtowers, and you have to witness, and you have to do, 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 do. And this person was um, scared and wondering in their heart, did I do enough to earn my way into heaven? And, and they were very scared and full of fear on their deathbed. And I've been with tons, tons, and tons of Christians on their deathbed, and it was completely a different experience. And, and watching and living through the, the difference of watching a Christian die and a person who, who lived their whole life in a works-based doctrine died. There was a completely different world. There was peace with the Christian. The most impactful, um, obviously, was when Lydia's mother, um, when Lydia's mom passed away. By the grace of God, um, it was people had been coming in and out, and 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 the moment, the day that she passed away, it was just um, all the immediate family that was there, and 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 Dad called us into the room at that moment, and we gathered. Her and we begin to pray, and we watched her go home to be with Jesus. And, and she had been in a coma for about a day, day and a half at this point, um, out of consciousness. And and she she kind of sat up a little bit. And one little tear started running down her eye because she had kids and grandkids that she was going to miss. And then you know they say that that in a coma state and on a on a person who's dying you you. They can't put a smile on their face. It's impossible. She got a little smile on her face. And she opened her eyes for the first time. And we saw her see Jesus. And a moment later, she passed away in peace. And many times when I've I've been there at the death of of a Christian, it's just different because there's a peace. They have an assurance of salvation because they understand that the reason and the way we get to heaven is not based on what we do or what we've done or didn't do. It's based on Jesus. It's based on what Jesus has done in his righteousness that has been imputed to us and that we can't take away or add anything to it. You know, to say that, that what Jesus did on the cross wasn't sufficient is blasphemous. It, it, it's a slap in God's face to say, Jesus, what you did on the cross was good for about 80% of my salvation and I got to do another 20. No. The blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse a man of all sins. And the blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient for your salvation thoroughly and, 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 and all the way through. And, and so John says here, you can know that you know. But listen, just theologically, doctrinally, look at verse 13 with me, the second half. After he says, you can know that you have eternal life, and then he adds something to it. What does he want you to do after that? He wants you to continue. So it's, it's encouraging that in the very verse where God promises in his word that you can know you're going to heaven, he also says that continue in that faith. Continue to walk in that salvation. And then famously, Jesus said in John chapter 10, beginning in verse 27, Jesus said, My hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. 
and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hands. Jesus said that anybody who who the Father has put in my hands, they're going to stay there, meaning they're going to go to heaven. And no one can snatch them out of their hands. And so, again, you know, there is a, a absolute assurance of salvation. Amen? Amen? Then what is all this business of um, losing your salvation in, in Hebrews chapter 6? Let's go back to Hebrews 6. And again, remember, this is my, my theological statement. You cannot lose your salvation, but you can leave your salvation. You cannot lose your salvation. But you can walk away from it. Pastor Chuck, if anybody would ask him, Pastor Chuck is the founder of our church, of Calvary Movement. This was his patent statement to answer the question about can you lose your salvation. He would say, once saved, always saved, unless you fall away. It was kind of like took both answers. Listen, there's, there's, there's an absolute cost in discipleship. Now, um, before we get into verse 1 again, we're, we're, we're teaching. We already read it. We're teaching it. But listen, let's do this real quick. This is something I just want you guys to be aware of, to know. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians. Let's go left now a couple uh, more pages than we went to John. And let's find 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. What we're about to read is repeated in the New Testament. Somebody want to take a guess how many times it's repeated in the New Testament? Five times. At least five times. Okay, five that I could confirm. I heard seven, a pastor say seven, but I'll just go with five. At least, let's say at least five. When God repeats himself in the New Testament five times, there's a reason for it. And as Paul wrote letters to different churches around Asia Minor that we have as the Bible... It was important for Paul to include this, this teaching in each one of the letters, and that's why we have it repeated in so many of the epistles. But when, when, when it's repeated five times in the New Testament, I think there's a reason. Look what Paul tells the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse number 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do you want to be um, political? What does it mean if you don't inherit the kingdom of God? It means you're going to hell. Simple. You guys don't like that? world don't like that? You don't got a problem with, oh, don't judge me, pastor. I'm not judging you. The Bible's judging you. I love you. My job is not to judge you. My job is to love you. God told me that I'm supposed to love. Love the Lord my God. So I love you to death. And then your sin, your sin breaks my heart because I want to see you go to heaven. But I'm not judging you. Let God's word judge you. Forget what I say. Go read the Bible. You're five times. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. Listen, and look, look what it says. Do, do not be deceived. Neither fornicators nor idolaters nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. As were some of you, but you were washed. Praise God. 
Amen. But you were sanctified. Hey, one more. Just trust me, it's in there at least five times. So let's look at Galatians 5.9. Go right. Same, same idea, just, just worded a little bit different. But in Galatians, Paul is, is um, saying the same thing. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh, chapter 5, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication. Adultery is having, is being married and having sex with somebody that you're not married to. Fornication is any sex outside of marriage. And so um, I heard a pastor say recently, um, you know, if you're sleeping with somebody who's, who's not your spouse, would you, would you go home and do that with your sibling? Like, oh, gross. Yeah, what are you talking about? That's, that's funky. That's incest. And he said, well, that, that person is your spiritual brother or sister in Christ. And so it's spiritual incest. And I know that's kind of a funky way of thinking about it, but it does illustrate the idea that there's some power behind when God says no fornicating, no sex outside of marriage, that, that until you're within the bonds of marriage that God forbids it. Why? Because God doesn't want you to have any fun? Because God doesn't love you? Because God's a joy and a joy kill? No, absolutely not. It's for your good because he loves you. Because God has created sexual intimacy to be something that's not physical, it's spiritual. And because it's spiritual, that it, it, God has put some parameters around it. The Bible says about, about sex that, that marriage bed is undefiled, meaning that, that it's all go with your spouse. But outside of those parameters, it's forbidden. And then God says... Um, Adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, that those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Is that, is that clear or not? So again... We, we just want to be honest and, and, and be loving. We really do. But I never want to be guilty of telling somebody, oh, you just ask Jesus in your heart, and then you can, you can do anything on that list. But you know, what, you know what's funny about that list is that I'm pretty sure most of us at some point in our lives have been guilty of some of those things. Does that mean we go to hell? Absolutely not. That's not what it's saying. Because at the end of that list, it says those who practice such things, unrepentant, Right? If, if, if the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses a man of all sins, right? Now, let, let's, let's look at, um, I, I wanna, I'm going to do it a little bit backwards, you guys. Because we're on the topic, let's cover verses 4 through 6 in Hebrews, and then I'm going to go back and do 1 through 3, and we're probably only going to get through 6 verses today. But chapter 4, verse, or chapter 6, back in Hebrews now, we're doing like some uh, Bible uh, sprinting today how we're all over the place but i gotta i gotta go to a lot of scriptures to cover this this topic today chapter 6 verse 4 says for it is impossible somebody say impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the holy spirit and have tasted the good word of god and the powers of of the age to come if they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. This, this, is, this is talking about um, somebody who um, was once enlightened. Now, again, if you go and if you say you Googled 
uh, Hebrews 6, you're going to find multiple, multiple different ideas and interpretations, depending on whether somebody's theology is Calvinist or Armenianist, you know, where, where this is going to fall. But, but in its context, it's, um, it, it's, it's not, it's what it is talking about is a condition of the heart. So you notice that it doesn't say it's impossible to renew somebody again to salvation, meaning this. If you talk to somebody who's um, backslidden from the Lord and, and you, you say to them, you know, hey, you know, invite them back to church. And they say, oh, man, I know I've been struggling. I know I need to get back to church. I know I need to get right with God. And they continue to sin and struggle that that, that person is not who this verse is talking about. That person has a consciousness that, that God is the answer, that Jesus is the only way to save. We continue to encourage and love and pray for that person. And, and on God's timing and through God's spirit, they, they will and can come back and, and get saved. Their, their heart is conscious. What this is dealing with is a different case. It, it's somebody whose heart has crossed the line. I think it was a Johnny Cash. Oh, no, he didn't say cross the line. No, he said walk the line. Johnny Cash, oh, that uh, just messed up my illustration. That's all right. We're going to make Johnny, we're going to change Johnny Cash's song to cross the line, okay? You, you, there is a line. That, that guy I just described, he's definitely not crossed the line. I don't care what kind of sin he's living in. At any point, if he wants to come back and get saved, he has a conscience, he's going to get saved. We, we have a, a most amazing example. We have the thief on the cross, right? Morally, the guy was, was bankrupt, he was a bad guy. I saw a special on TV this week. I think I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, but so fascinating. I don't know why it's so fascinating, but it was the story of Ted Bundy. And, and, and it just was gripping. I just watching, and it was like eight parts to this series. Well, when it came to Ted Bundy's execution in Florida, thousands of people gathered out around the prison celebrating and shooting fireworks and holding signs because they, they all agreed that that man deserved to die for his crimes because he was a very bad person. If, if it was today the thief on the cross, I think we would have a similar crowd that would agree that this guy was a bad guy. Society would say, yes, he deserves capital punishment. He's a murderer and an insurrectionist. He, he's really a terrible bad guy who deserved the justice that he got, that, 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 that most of us would agree that, yes, he, he, he deserves capital punishment. So it's not like he was a good guy that happened to end up on the cross next to Jesus, and, and, and he was a bad guy, morally bankrupt, never went to church, never paid tithes, never did any of the things that, that you know, we're, we think we're supposed to do to be good Christians. And yet he repented he asked Jesus to forgive him of his sins. He admitted that he was a sinner. And what did Jesus say to the thief on the cross? Today you'll be with me in paradise. What, what heaven does the thief on the cross go to? The same one you and I will go to. Right? Because of the amazing grace of God. So when this says it's impossible to renew somebody again to repentance... It doesn't mean it's impossible to renew somebody who's morally bankrupt unto salvation. The entire theme of the Bible, Old and New Testament, is for you to come back to God at any point. To come to God as you are and you will be welcomed with open arms. I could, I could think of a hundred examples. Just That's what the whole Bible is about. Right? I mean, right down to the prodigal son. Disrespects his dad. His dad wasn't even dead yet. And he said, Dad, give me my inheritance. 
I'm not dead yet. I don't care. I want what's mine. I don't like you or my family or anybody. And his dad cuts the, the family inheritance up and he gives the young man all this stuff. And the guy goes and he begins to party. And the Bible says he's getting hookers and he's buying all the drugs and alcohol for his friends until it all runs out. And then he comes, finally, he's, he's in a pig pen eating what the pigs eat. And the Bible says he comes to his senses and he rehearses in his heart, I'm going to go home. And he prepares this speech and he says, I'll become like one of my father's hired servants. It's better than living in this pig pen. And, and it says that as the father saw him, and in the language it means that the father was like standing on the roof day after day, looking, hoping, praying, waiting for his son to come home. And, and when this terrible young man who had made terrible choices for his life, when, he, when his father sees him afar off, there's only one way you see him afar off. The father was looking for him, hoping. And the father runs to him. And he puts the new robe on him. And he gives him the signet ring. And he, and, he, and he kills the fatted calf. And he makes a celebration. Because that which was lost has been found. That's the heart of our God. But, don't be deceived. Hebrews chapter 6 teaches very clearly. There's a line in the sand that if you cross it, it's impossible for you to come back. Do we have an example of that in the Bible? Okay, the first one I think of is in the Old Testament is a guy named Pharaoh. And Moses comes to Pharaoh and he says, he says, let my people go. And Pharaoh, the Bible says, hardened his heart. And then God brought a plague, plague number one. And after it was over, Moses comes and he says, did that scare you? Did that teach you? Did that show you the power of God? Let my people go. And Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then the second plague, and then the third, and then the fourth, and then the fifth. And each time, Pharaoh is making a decision to harden his heart. And then when you get to the last one, the Bible says this, and God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now, when you just, if you just read it without a little bit of study, a little bit of linguistics, you might think to yourself, well, and this is what the atheist will tell you. This is what the, the enemy of the gospel or, or the word of God will say. Well, God is immoral because God hardened Pharaoh's heart and then God judged him and sent him to hell because he had a hard heart. But God gave him that hard heart. That's not fair. But that's not what's taking place at all. The word, when it says God hardened his heart, it means that God established a decision that Pharaoh had already made. In Romans chapter 1, you should read it. You should be familiar with it. It's again, Romans chapter 1 is a Hebrew 6 chapter. It's a heavy, deep chapter. But in Romans chapter 1, Paul is talking about a group of people who traded the truth for a lie. And, they, and, and it says that God gave them up to a reprobate mind. Here's what God does, I believe, the way I understand it. God, God honors the decision that you've made in your heart. God is a gentleman. And God continues to pour his spirit out upon you, continues to pour his spirit out upon you. He continues to draw you and call you unto salvation. And, and, and then you say, no, 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 no. And I think it's hard. I don't want to scare anybody with this. I don't think we see a ton of examples of this. I think more of what we see in life is the thief on the cross who has opportunity still. But there can be a place where, where you've hardened your heart, you've hardened your heart, you've hardened your heart, you've turned away from God, that God pulls his hands off, and, and he lets the decision that you've made stand. That's what's impossible. And for those that have come to that hardness of heart, the Bible says that when we sin, the Bible says that when we do things that, that, that are against and break the heart of God, it's like a hot iron that, that passes over your heart. One pass. 
and then another time and time passes and you've hardened your heart and you've, you, you've again said no to God and the call of God and the call of the Holy Spirit for you to come to him and to, to submit and surrender and repent. And, and again, you say no, another pass of the hot iron. And with enough passes of the hot iron, the Bible says your heart becomes hard. You know, one of my greatest fears as a young believer was I never wanted to have a hard heart. Scared me to death. I always prayed and I always asked God. I just said, God, don't let my heart become hard. And if, if I sinned and if I struggled and if I had a problem when I was repenting and seeking God, my fear was that, that that iron had passed over my heart and I don't want there to be permanent damage. God, please keep my heart soft. I don't want a hard heart. I don't want a hard heart. I don't want a hard heart. But eventually, that hard heart, there is a line that can be crossed. Now, um, I think maybe an example, I've known two. One of them was at our church in Joshua Springs, and another one was a, a, somebody that I don't know, a story that Pastor Chuck Smith tells about a guy at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. In both cases, um, they were men who um, got saved, and, and they began to do ministry at church. They had gifts of the Holy Spirit. They were, they were doing ministry. It was people around them could genuinely see that God was using them. They were baptized. They made professions of faith. They were teachers and leaders in the church. One of them was a psychologist in Costa Mesa, and another one was in our own church in Yucca Valley. And in both cases, these men had turned their hearts and backs towards God. The, the guy in Costa Mesa who was a, was a college professor of psychology and doing ministry at the church, eventually he became um, a, a lecturer against God. And he would argue that, that, that God is not um, sufficient for salvation. He would argue against the Bible. He would, he would fight any Christian on, on the topic of salvation and being saved and had thoroughly rejected over and over again the Lord Jesus Christ and had walked away from his faith. Now listen, the impossibility of, of Hebrews chapter 6 is not that this guy couldn't go to heaven. But what, what Hebrews 6 is dealing with is this guy has reached a point in his life where no matter what, he won't repent. He won't simply say, if he would, Lord, forgive me and be broken, God would forgive him. And what, what's impossible is when that guy's heart has become so hard that God knows or God sees almost that he'll, he'll, never, he'll never be in a place now in his heart where he's going to repent. He's so full of pride. And you say, how can somebody do that? How can somebody know God? Now, listen, you know what some people will say about this list? Oh, it's hypothetical because it says if. Um, it says tasted, which means they didn't fully swallow it. They just got a little taste. Neither one of those arguments carry water. Listen to the list of who this is. They were once enlightened. Somebody say once enlightened. They've tasted. Somebody say tasted. Heavenly gift. Say heavenly gift. Partakers. Holy Spirit. Tasted the good word and the power. So, I mean, this is, this is describing somebody who's legitimately walking with the Lord. But who's genuinely in that moment hit by a bus going to heaven, saved. And if they, having tasted, well, how could that happen? How could somebody who's, who's known these things walk away? Well, I don't know. You know anybody else in a similar situation? Maybe in a heavenly scene? Maybe somebody who was... Uh, a very decorated and talented um, angel who, who lived in the presence of God every day, saw Jesus and the Father and, and the Holy Spirit, who, who led worship and played music and was adorned with precious jewels. 
and was one of the most beautiful creations that God ever created, who lived in the very presence of God for him to turn his heart on God. And yet it happened. The Bible says that, that, that pride filled Satan's heart. And he said, I want to be like God. And he, and he turned and he left. And I mean, it's possible. Now, again, it's, it's rare. I think it's rare. It, it's, it's, it's not, you know, something common. It's definitely not something that we, we, we don't want, right? I don't want and we don't want to create a culture around here where, you know, everybody's afraid that they're, you know, oh, I sinned. I, I went 57 into 55. I'm going to hell. If that's the case, <laughs> I'm in big trouble. <laughs> You know what? Actually, God's graceful. I don't think God's going to keep me out of heaven. I think he's just going to keep my right foot out of heaven. So I think when I get there, you'll recognize me. I'll be the guy without the right foot because that thing's not saved. But that, that, that again, that's, that's, that's not the message, right? And that's not the heart of God. God's a God of grace and mercy and love. And if you come to the Lord and you desire to get right with God, God wants nothing more than, than to get you right. And to allow you into his kingdom, even to the point of a life of the thief on the cross, who by the grace of God was able to repent on his deathbed. And God received him with mercy and grace. And he's in heaven. Amen. Let's go back to the first part. I got just a few minutes left. We're going to cover the first part. Um, hopefully we've, we've been um, clear as mud on, on that whole verses four through six part. Can you lose your salvation? Absolutely not. Can you leave your salvation? I believe so. Okay? Just say it that way. I believe you can. I believe that it's pretty clear here that these folks were legitimately walking with the Lord and and they walked away and got to a point in their life where they had committed the unpardonable sin. You know, Jesus is teaching on this topic in Matthew chapter um, 12. Let's let's look at it real quick. This last little tie-in. I was going to leave it, but you know what? I'm not going to leave it. Let's cover it real quick. Matthew 12, verse 31. How many of you guys have Bibles with words in red? Are these red letters? Yes? Yes or no? Verse 31 says, Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. That should be celebrated. Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. That's pretty gracious of God. That's the amazing grace of God. Every sin and blasphemy. God says, I can forgive it. It's cool. (laughs) I'm bigger. I'm better. I love you. I can handle it. He said, even if you blaspheme me, Jesus said, I'm cool. No worries. I'll forgive you. But you have to ask. You have to, you have to want it. You have to desire. It. You have to know that it's an issue and seek God's forgiveness in your life and understand that in salvation and in, in being a Christ follower, there's a cost of discipleship. There, there, there's, a, there's a lifestyle that you lead that's a marathon, not a sprint. And you don't run out of the gates and um, cross the 40-yard dash, and then you're good. And then Jesus said, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Uh-oh. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. If it's not forgiven in this age or the age to come, again, what, what is the Bible simply saying? You're not going to go to heaven. You're going to go to hell. There's no purgatory. There's no middle ground. There, there's no place where you can go for a little bit to try to get it right and fix it and then go to heaven. It doesn't, you, you, it's appointed to man once to die and then the judgment. 
Paul's going to tell us later in Hebrews. You get this life to figure it out. And, and so, again, in the context of this unpardonable sin, it's the same thing that we've been walking out. What is that? What is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Ultimately, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is, is the same condition of a hardness of heart of somebody who's crossed the line. You know, ultimately we say, don't cross that line or that line usually, I would say, I don't know, I'm just going to throw it out there, 99.9% of the time, that line is crossed only when somebody dies. When you've died having rejected and blasphemed the Holy Spirit, then it's unforgivable. Because if you're still alive and you want repentance, it's available to you. But there are. There are a few. There are a select. There is the capability and the, to, to commit the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit while you're still alive. In Pharaoh's case, in other cases. But if you've rejected the Holy Spirit's draw and the Holy Spirit's ministry, why does is, why is Jesus make a difference between, he says, I'll forgive if you blaspheme me, but we can't forgive if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Now, what if you cuss and you say blasphemy against Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit? Is that what it's talking about? No, that's not what it's talking about. It's forgivable. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is rejecting the Holy Spirit's ministry on earth. The Holy Spirit's ministry on earth and in your life is to convict you of sin and show you that you need a Savior and to get you to ask Jesus in your heart to forgive you of your sins. And if you reject that enough times until the point you've died without being forgiven, then you've committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And yes, it is possible while you're still alive to commit that. But I'm not preaching fear. We don't have to be afraid of that. You know, if you just be on, you're just on fire for Jesus, you just walk with the Lord, then you don't got to worry about it. Amen? All right, I got a minute to cover this. Hey, let's just look real quick. Verse 6. In context of Hebrews, um, therefore, I want you guys with me. Hebrews 6, 1. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, everybody say, let us go on. You guys see that in your Bible right there? Highlight it. Underline it. That's the context of what Paul's talking about. The context of Hebrews this far, if you guys have been with me for the last six weeks, is grow up, is, is mature. It's, it's okay when you're a baby to drink milk, and milk is necessary and important. But, but if you're an adult and you're still drinking a bottle, if you've been a Christian for 30 years and you haven't grown in your faith, there's a problem. Paul's encouraging. Paul's, um, he's admonishing us that there comes a point where we grow up, where we mature, where we, we invest time in God's word and, and in the things so that we, we gain maturity in our Christian walk. And so he's saying here, let us go on. And, and let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of doctrine, of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Now, listen, that list in verse one and two, that's the foundation of our faith. That's an amazing list. Go through that list and understand those things. When we teach discipleship, when we teach new believers classes, we use those six things. So it's not a bad thing. These things are not bad or unnecessary. But what Paul is telling these Hebrew Christians is, is that, that by now you should be understanding. He already told them at the end of chapter 5 that he wanted to teach them about Melchizedek, but they were dull of hearing. They just weren't maturing and they, they were re- rejecting the truth and the time to, to hear of these things. And so now he's saying, to them, hey, it's time to move on. You know, I love this saying, but it's something I just use personally to try to help motivate myself. But if you're not moving forward in Jesus, 
you're going backwards. There's no such thing as standing still or being stagnant. And again, I, 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 I'm on the fence on this one, but my pastor would say all the time, if you're not more on fire for Jesus today than, you're, you're, than you were last week, a year ago, a month ago, you're, you're, you're stagnant or you're not growing or you're even backslidden. And it's just true because the, Paul tells us and the Bible encourages us. And, and the whole theme of Hebrews so far has been warning after warning after warning of us moving on in our faith. That, that our faith is a marathon and that we invest in it and we grow in it and we plug into Jesus. We stay committed. Pat, t- Pat taught on Wednesday night for us in a great message about this same topic of being committed in our Christian faith. And, 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 and that, that it's a commitment. You know, I don't, even, I don't even really like the term Christian that much anymore. It bothers me because, because so many people use the term Christian. And Christian is such a broad term. Someone can say to you, yeah, I'm Christian. What does that mean? Today, culturally, societally, it just doesn't carry the same meaning it used to. Christian can mean a lot of things. I I like the term Christ follower. I like the term that that we're Christ followers, that we're we're disciples of Jesus. And and as a Christ follower and as a disciple of Jesus, there's a cost in that. And there's, there's some commitment to that. Amen? Amen. I think I'm done. If I'm not done, you guys are. I'm getting that, that blank stare look. It's cool. It's cool. I can handle it. You know, you know, I PMS every Sunday, right? Post-message syndrome. <laughs> and then I go take a nap. Hey, let's stand together. Hey, I, I really want to encourage you guys as, as a church family to come back tonight. You know, tonight is for everybody, and we always give in most of our services an opportunity for people to get their hearts and lives right with Jesus. But Sunday night abide service is a, it, it, it's a, it's a next-level service for believers just to come and worship Jesus, just to come and expect the Holy Spirit to move in your heart and life, to fellowship, to eat. To um, We're going to do baptisms tonight. Come out as a church family, even if you're not getting baptized, and support those that are going to be baptized today. If you want to be water baptized and you've never been water baptized, come. Just come tonight. There's no sign up. There's no list. Just come um, and, and be ready and, and we'll baptize you tonight. But we encourage you and everybody, come out. Bring a side to share. We're going to eat at 5 and then um, at 6 we're just going to let the Spirit lead. We're going to worship the Lord. We've got an extended worship set. Um, it's a great set. We always pick, you know, some, some fun, upbeat songs. And, and we're going to receive communion tonight and spend some time with the Lord. I'm not going to preach tonight. You'd be happy to know. Um, we're going we're gonna to spend time with Jesus. We're going to let you guys in our service just connect with Jesus through, through communion and through worship and through prayer. But, but come tonight and, and, and enjoy that. Amen? And then before we leave today, I want to make sure that you know that you know that you know that you're going to heaven. Okay? You have that assurance. You have that invitation and, and, and that call of God in your life. And, and salvation is a surrender. It's a full surrender of your heart and life to Jesus Christ. You know, God doesn't really um, accept a partial surrender. It just doesn't work. You know, it's not salvation. Maybe it's a good step, but it's really another passing of the hot iron over your heart. And 80%, God, I, I know this is true. I know the word is true. I know God is true. But I'm just really not ready to fully be a Christian. I'm embarrassed in my school, in my class. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, be uncool. And I'm ashamed a little bit. And, you know, people won't like me if I just come out boldly as a believer in Jesus and a Christ follower. That, 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 that again, God just won't accept it. 
You've got to get to that point where you're unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and you know what? You know, a scary verse in the Bible. God, Jesus says, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my father. And be bold and, and be willing. And so I want to encourage you, if you want to get your heart and life right with Jesus Christ, it's a full surrender of your heart. There's no magic in the prayer. We say the prayer. We use the words. But all they're supposed to do is match the condition of your heart. What God is interested in and what God can hear is if you're saying in your heart, yes to Jesus. Sometimes when I say the sinner's prayer, I lead a church in the sinner's prayer, I, I, I like to just make it as simple as this. You say yes to Jesus. Because I think it illustrates for me anyways that, that the power is not in, dear Lord Jesus, please come into my heart, forgive me my sins, you know, the, the, the prayer that we pray. The power is in you saying yes to Jesus and surrendering and making a full surrender of your heart and life to Jesus. Does that mean you have to be perfect? It's not perfection. It's got nothing to do with perfection. We're all imperfect. God has a bunch of imperfect kids, and he's okay with that. It's, it's us saying yes to Jesus. Amen? So if that's you today, I just let's close our eyes and bow our head. I just want you to raise your hand. If you just want to say yes to Jesus, you can just put it up, put it back down. Is there anybody today right now that's wanting to say yes to Jesus? You're out there? Amen, 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 all over the place. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We give you praise and glory. I thank you for every hand that just went up to say yes to Jesus. Lord, they're saying yes to the fact that they want Jesus in their life as their personal Lord and Savior. They want to make a full surrender of their heart and life to the Lord Jesus. And, Father, we we pray blessing over them. Lord, I pray for each one of us today as we went through a a real meaty and tough chapter of the Bible that, Lord, we we grew. and, And, Lord, we saw your heart that you're a God of compassion and mercy and of a million chances and and of forgiveness times a thousand if we desire it. And if we have a heart, God, that's willing to say yes to you, that nothing is impossible with God. And and so, Father, we love you. We thank you that you're a compassionate, loving God. And, Father, we do want to say yes to you. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. Hey, if you raised your hand and you've never been water baptized, I'll see you back here at 5 in your bathing suit. Hey, God bless you guys. Love you guys. Have a great week.